You're listening to a sermon from Darabin Presbyterian Church. Visit us online for more resources or to get in touch. Hi DPC, I'm doing the reading today from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 to 31. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. Uh, Hi, my name's Adam. I'm one of the elders here at Darabin Presbyterian Church. It's my privilege this afternoon to be preaching from the passage you just heard read by Ariel in 1 Corinthians. Um, But before we begin, uh, let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that we can gather together around your word at this same time, though we might be scattered, though we might be 
uh, flung in far and distant places. Our Lord God, um, please help us to understand more deeply now through your word and what it means to be uh, united in Christ, what it means to be united with one another, so that we might understand more deeply what it means to be a part of your body. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Teamwork. I know about you, but I never really liked it. I never really liked it at uni. It always seemed like someone else got dudded and had to do the bulk of the work. And I know about you, uh, I work in a team and I do remote team working. I think it's a bit of a furphy. It's kind of up there in my mind with like Stalinism has benefited the Russian people or the US 2020 election was stolen. A bit of a furphy remote team working. But it's everywhere, isn't it? And when teams work well, everyone wins. Just ask the Hawthorne Football Club for many years. Had a great team. A team wins when everyone is playing together. We've seen that in the Olympics recently. But we've also kind of seen where it hasn't worked. Just look at the, the national cabinet, uh, the team uh, who's meant to be running the country at the moment. That's not really working really well. In fact, it looks like there's a few houses that are divided. These teams uh, work well. Uh, are the ones that everyone wants to be a part of. And actually, that's exactly what the church should be and in fact is. But the Bible uses the word body and indeed the body of Christ to describe both the invisible church, um, the church consisting of all Christians at all times and all places, um, as well as the visible church, a particular local church like DPC that exists in one time and one place with one group of Christians. Both of those expressions of the church are described as the body of Christ. And so really this idea of team uses the, you know, the Bible uses the idea of team as the body. And in reality, I think that concept is the same. The body of Christ succeeds when all parts of the body are functioning in unity together. The body of Christ is healthy when we are all parts in the body embracing the diversity of the body. And the body of Christ flourishes when all members of the body are seeking to imitate Christ, the head of the body. But also the converse is true when the body won't be working. So friends, today I want you to see that we are the body of Christ. So we should maintain the unity of the body, embrace diversity of the body, under Christ the head of the body. We are the body of Christ, so we should maintain the unity of the body, Embrace diversity of the body under the Christ, our head. Let's turn back to 1 Corinthians 12, which we just heard Ariel read earlier. We are united as a body. From verse 12, just as a body, though one, has many parts, all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one, but of many parts. Paul begins this section having just taught the Corinthian church about orderly conduct in the church and the use of spiritual gifts in the church gathering to build one another up. And he now takes a turn before going to chapter 13, where he will describe, it's considered one of the most famous passages of the Bible, um, the most excellent way, the way of love. But in order to help 
the Corinthian church to understand why love is the most excellent way, and indeed us. Paul first wants the Corinthians to understand that they are all members of the one body of Christ. So they should use their spiritual gifts that God has given them to love other members of the body for building them up. And so in verse 12, Paul introduces the idea of the body to illustrate how the church is united. The human body, if we take a look in the mirror at ourselves, we see that our body has many parts that need to work in harmony in order to function well. This is the case, irrespective of one's capacity, our body consists of a number of different systems that function in unity with one another to ensure that we are alive. My VCE biology is paid off thus far. The body has many parts, but still collectively, those many parts form one body. And this is the case with Christ and his church. We, that is the believers, are a part of his body, the body of Christ. And in these verses, Paul's out that even though we are all different, we are united by the one spirit. Let's stop for a moment. Paul is saying that if we've put our trust in Jesus, his death on the cross has saved us by grace from our sin and reconciled us to God through faith, we are all part of the body of Christ, all of us. Not one true believer is disconnected from the body of Christ. And do you notice what unites us? It's not our ethnic, racial, class, it's not employment status, it's not political affiliations, uh, ideologies, we're probably thankful for that, some of us, but rather the fact that we are one in the spirit. We are born again by the spirit. The spirit, the same spirit lives in us, put another way, dwells in us. And the spirit marks all of us out as part of the same body. Try to think of it a bit like uh, having a uniform. You know, think of a school uniform, police uniform, military uniform. They have one thing in common. They, they demonstrate in a way that a whole bunch of different individuals are actually a part of one collective organisation, one organism. It's with the army, school, police, etc. And uniforms identify them to whom they belong, but also they identify them irrespective of their personal background, who they were. Well, Paul is at pains to highlight this in verse 13, isn't he? There are still Jews and Gentiles and slaves and free in the body. Being a part of the body does not mean that our own uniqueness disappears. No, rather, our unique image evaporates. No, in fact, who you and I are as individuals remains and is absolutely essential for the functioning of the body, just not individualism. But our desire to express our individual gifts and personalities should never get in the way of the unity of the body because we are united by the spirit. We are also united, not by just one spirit, but under the headship of Christ. The body's not headless. It doesn't walk around without any direction. It doesn't look like cousin it. No, it has a head and that head is Christ. In Colossians 1, verses 15 to 20, Paul paints this amazing picture of the supremacy of Christ. In verse 18, describing Christ as the head of the body, and the body is the church, he is, Jesus is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that every, in everything he might have supremacy. Christ is in all and over all. And Paul in this passage in Colossians is reminding the readers of the supremacy of Christ over all things, everything which we see as as he is, has headship over the body of Christ. Under him, 
we are all part of one body and united. United as a body, united by the Spirit, reconciled by the same blood of Christ and living together under Christ our head. Now, as I mentioned earlier, and indeed as Paul goes on to elaborate, this unity has implications for the makeup of the body. Because as the body, we're united, but we're also necessarily and essentially diverse. And we should embrace that diversity. Let's turn back to 1 Corinthians again. Unity is simply not enough. For Paul, our existence as one body may mean that we either think of ourselves too high or too lowly. What I mean is, if we understand the greater detail of the body that exists, then we will fail to, sorry, if we don't understand the greater detail of the body, then we'll fail to understand what it means to be part of the body. You see, according to Paul, the body is made up of many parts, and those parts each have an invaluable role. Verse 14, even so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And to illustrate this, I won't give you my own example. I'll go to one that Paul's already prepared earlier for you in verses 15 and onwards. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the, se- where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. What's Paul doing? He's giving the obvious explanation for why the body must have many parts and why they must work together by looking at his own body. If it helps, you can go look in the mirror, just look down or where you're standing or sitting for that matter. Firstly, he wants each member of the body to understand that they are unique and necessary. The body of Christ should not simply be viewed as one in which everyone is the same. Everyone does the same thing And if you are not the same, you do not belong. No, no, that's not how it works. No, the body of Christ brings all different people together through the power of the gospel. And that means that all people have a place. All people have a role. No one is homeless in the body of Christ. No one is useless in the body of Christ. Indeed, even parts that might be less impressive are invaluable. Imagine if our whole body was one single body part. It may be strong in one particular sense or action, but it also means that anyone who is not even remotely like that body part would be rejected. Rather than a place of unity, the body of Christ would be a place of rejection. Rather than a place in which we see the amazing uh, reflection of God's image in everyone, it would actually be a place in which we only saw our own reflection and didn't want to see anyone else's. No, if you are different, you still belong to the body of Christ. If you are different, you still have your part to play. That's why the ears or the noses, they need to still be there. They have an invaluable function in the body, but so does everything else. Is that your experience of church, of being part of the body of Christ at Darabin? 
a place where you are, I guess, welcomed because you are recognised as firstly as a unique member of the same body rather than because you belong to the same ethnic group or uh, you have a similar economic position or relationship status or gender or a certain spiritual gift. And through your acts and words, is that the experience that others at DPC have when they see you? When they meet you, talk to you, relate to you? Do you help them experience in our church a place where they are welcomed, where they belong? Because you recognise them as unique and invaluable members of the body of Christ. You recognise them as individuals. We have many roles in the body, but they are not the same. Look down to verse 27. Paul goes on to say, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have the gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret. Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. The body of Christ is one. The body has a place for everyone. We all have an invaluable role to play in the body and therefore it's one a wonderful thing that we are not all the same. And we see in this passage that God has given certain people certain gifts in order for the health of and growth of the church and for the glory of his name. And I'm going to unpack those gifts now because what's more notable for our present purposes is that we're not all the same. And that's the answer to Paul's rhetorical question, isn't it? No, no one has, not everyone has the same gifts. We're all different. And in our roles, we use those gifts that we've been given, which is why some people have similar gifts, such as teaching or mercy, but not everyone. Now, it could go on, but suffice to say that from verse 31 on, as I alluded to earlier, Paul will head into chapter 13, where he says that no matter the gift, no matter the role, the one that, that should be unanimous in the body, the marker that should set us apart, our tattoo that we've all got is love. The most excellent way of love, the way of Christ. Love which is greater than all else because it's only in love and out of love that we are able to be members of the body and use the gifts that God has given to us to love and serve others, to build them up rather than loving ourselves and serving ourselves. The body of Christ is united, but it is also diverse. But that means we also have a part to play. So how do we do that? How do we play our part in the body in a way that maintains the unity of the body and embraces the diversity of the body? Well, I think that comes down to humility. Now, what do I mean by humility? Well, I think Tim Keller's thought helpfully about this in his book, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. I've got it. It's a very easy read. It really cuts to the heart and helpfully defines humility as not thinking less of yourself as if you have to be negative about yourself or down on yourself, uh, but thinking of yourself less so that you can forget about yourself and focus on others, the strength of others, how you can serve others. 
I think this definition of humility is helpful because it helps us make sense of what it is for us to have a right perception of who you and I are before Christ. See, humility is at the heart of the gospel. Without the gospel, we cannot have a right perception of who we are before Christ because the gospel actually requires that we humble ourselves before God. We take the focus off of ourselves. We allow someone else other than ourselves to be at the centre of our lives. And the gospel tells us that the the very best person to have at the centre of our lives is Christ, the eternal King. And without the gospel, we will not understand humility. We cannot understand humility and seek to live a spirit-empowered, humble life. Gospel humility, viewing ourselves rightly before Christ, means not that we think less of ourselves, but that we will think of ourselves less because we'll actually be forgetting about ourselves and thinking more about our God and others. And we see this example of in Christ, don't we? You know, Jesus himself came to serve us and not be served. He came to seek and save the lost, that was us. He came to take up his cross so that we, in a way, would not have to. He came to die for our sin so that we did not have to. He came to this world in love so that we could be loved. He came to reconcile us to God because we could not. It's no surprise then, really, that in Ephesians 4, verse 2, Paul starts with humility as the first of the characteristics of what the body of Christ should look like. People should be exercising humility. But what happens if I have a wrong perception of myself before Christ? If I have a wrong perception of myself before Christ, I actually might think that I ought to be the head. And that will actually cause division. Because I'm seeking to do what Christ might do. I'm trying to lead an imperfect people in a perfect way. I'm so keen for unity that ultimately I'll end up creating a unity of one. Which I think is a unit, actually. Now, as we consider ourselves before Christ, it should lead us to be deeply humble. And a right perception of self before Christ can give us a right perception of ourself in the body and a right perception of others. Now, what do I mean by a right perception of self and others in the body? Look, let's turn back again to the passage we heard read by Ara from 1 Corinthians. Verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we should treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division uh, in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. At the heart of this particular section is Paul's concern that the Corinthians have failed to have a right perception of themselves in the body and a right perception of others in the body. Let's take each of those in turn. You see, I think if we think about a right perception of ourselves in the body, what that looks like is us actually being humble and secure. Humility, because we know that Christ, who is the head of the body, had to die for us. 
and a right perception, therefore, of myself and the body is deeply humble. If we just contrast this to what we saw being read going on in verses 21 to 26. In those verses, Paul is trying to help the Corinthians see how destructive it is for the body when all they do is think of themselves rather than think about themselves less. That's why Paul is at pains to point out that there's no room for pride in the body of Christ, for a self-absorbed sense that you don't really need other parts of the body. So that in subtle and unsubtle ways, you freeze out parts of the body, you exclude them, you reject another part of the body, you stick them in the freezer. And we say that chiefly because in verse 26, pride hurts everyone. It even hurts you. And I think each of us knows what this is like. If we're honest with ourselves, we're not as humble as we ought to be. We've seen our pride hurt others. Practically speaking, what would it look like to have a right perception of self in the body? I think it's the humility to know that Christ had to die for you, a sinner, to make you acceptable to God. And that your acts, uh, your skills, your personality won't get you there won't make you acceptable, only Jesus. I think a right perception comes from knowing that I am not the head of the body because I know that Christ is, and I remember that Christ is the head. And because Christ is the head and not me, this means I'm not my own saviour and I'm not anyone else's for that matter. Jesus is. This means that I can seek to continue to imitate him and point people to him not to me. It reminds me that I'm saved into one body and I have, I have, like everyone else, received the same calling. I have, like everyone else, received the same gospel of grace. I have, like everyone else, bowed the knee before the same one king, irrespective of gender, race, identity. So knowing uh, that you are humble, but also I talked about being secure. And that is knowing that Christ, your head, was willing to die for you. A right perception, I think, of myself in the body means that I'm secure and confident in the fact that I have an invaluable role in the body. I think many of us struggle with this sense of having confidence and security because we don't fully appreciate the truth that we are God's treasured possession. We are his chosen and beloved child. I don't fully remember that I am made in his image and equal to all my brothers and sisters in Christ. That my unique individuality is essential for the body. Who I am, I'm a treasured and unique, necessary part of the body and what I bring is essential. And so are others. Isn't that amazing when you stop and think about that, that who you are is essential to the body and all parts of the body are to be honoured you see there's no room actually for me to think that I'm either too different or too weak or too affected to be a part of the body there's no room for me to make that excuse if you feel like you don't have that value. I, can I just, I just want to remind you what I just said, that you are treasured because of who you are. You are wonderfully and fearfully made. You have a place in the body and without you, the body suffers. Without you, we can't rejoice. 
Without you, we don't know what it is to be fully united. Yeah, each one of us is essential to the body and we are all imperfect. We are actually all on our own journey of transformation because we're all incomplete. But our God, the same God for you and me, began a good work in us that will bring it to fulfillment when Jesus returns. So if you feel insecure because you feel burdened by your imperfection or failure, you shouldn't. Instead, Keep your eyes fixed on Christ, our head. Remember that we were so sinful that he had to die for us on the cross. Remember that we are his treasured possessions, unique individuals, each one of us. And as we do this together over time, it'll actually grow us in a deep humility because we are so secure. Like I said, humility leads to a right perception of self in the body and also a right perception of others. A right perception of others. What is that? Well, I think once we're more humble and secure in how we perceive ourselves, we're more able to have a right perception of others, which according to the passage we just read, will mean we have equal concern for each other and there'll be no division. Paul is a pains, I think, to make the point that all parts of the body are valuable. We all have different roles to play. Some have more honour, some have less. But to some, they should all be displayed for all to see. Some of us are mouth, hands and feet. And as a dear sister in Christ likes to remind me, some of us are just armpits. But just because our roles may be different, just because some of us may be more on display than others, and maybe our our roles appear more apparent than others, this doesn't mean that we're not equal, because we are. We're equal before Christ. We've all been brought equally into the body of Christ through the same death, the same atoning sacrifice. No one is greater or less. So when you are humble and secure about your place in the body, I think you'll find it much easier to accept this. And it's such a big challenge. It's, it's actually, I think it's a supernatural challenge. Because for me, how does my pride and insecurity come out rather than my humility and security in Christ? Well, I've realised in preparing this sermon, it comes out in subtle ways. It's not so obvious. Sometimes I want to avoid people. I don't want to talk to people because I can't be bothered. I'm thinking of myself. Um, I consider myself better. I consider others worse. Uh, for me, I think it can come out in the fact that I, I have an ability to teach. I have a good job. I have a house. I want to, you know, I, my, maybe it comes out in my political or theological convictions. Sometimes all these things can make me feel better than others. And how does it actually express itself? Well, I think explicitly it comes out when I'm too slow to listen and too quick to speak and to judge. I'm too interested in telling someone what's wrong with them rather than listening to them. In short, and somewhat ironically, I'm myopic. I'm short-sighted, which I actually am. Um, thinking, <laughs> thinking if only everyone was like me, I'm not sure I'd even really need those other parts of the body. They've just, they're just such a nuisance that I've got to put up with, and they don't deserve my time. Look, it comes out in my reluctance to cross the divide and talk to someone who's unlike me. 
Maybe for you, you're a uni student and you don't want to leave your pack and speak to someone else. Or you're a mum with kids and you don't want to leave your gaggle of peers to speak to someone else. Or you're an older guy and you don't want to leave your groupies to speak with someone else. Or maybe it comes out in, 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 in actually the way you serve the body. You know, what you could be doing or should be doing. Um, or that makes you think that you're better than others. You know, when I think I know what's best and someone else does not, you know, I'll generally communicate or get frustrated and, and say, if only they would listen to me and they do things my way. I suspect we've all been there. It's pretty easy to do that, to indulge in finding problems and whinging, not giving ourselves to the problem solving, to place our own personal pride above another person, assuming that somehow we are the font of all knowledge using my good ideas to cudgel another person, to puff myself up and deflate another person, to seek to be served and not to serve. It's really no surprising, it's not surprising at all that Paul will go on and talk about the way of love as the most excellent way, focused on selflessly serving others and not selfishly serving self in 1 Corinthians 13. A final example, I think it comes out in the way we communicate. Uh, sometimes I think it's easy to be a keyboard warrior or an SMS warrior. I think you know what I mean. Um, you could have said three things, but instead you say so much more. Maybe it's a bit passive-aggressive or just rude. You're a bit deliberately inflammatory and you've left it there even after a second thought because in that moment, what matters more is you wounding the other person and how that makes you feel and how you intended the other person to feel injured and it's all the more tempting i think because we can do it behind a keyboard and not in looking at the person in the eye without dealing with their reaction without seeing the pain we intend to cause you know we don't have to feel bad about feeling good maybe you do it because you just want to show the other person you're in control because you decided that they somehow needed to be humbled rather than humble yourself again now, I'm not saying we can't have God-honouring, wise conversations. Um, they have to be had, especially ones that expose the sins of our brothers and sisters in Christ. But it does seem to me we too easily think of our own grievance or seek to wound and retaliate others instead of recalling the grace extended to us and extending that grace to others. We really struggle to think less of ourselves. If we're not humble and secure in the way that we see ourselves, we will see other members of the body as a threat to be brought down a peg or two, or an irritation to be put up with through gritted teeth, rather than embracing, embracing other members as part of the body and the gifts that they bring to seek to maintain the unity of the body. And as I said before, it's, it's supernatural. And this is the last point I want to make. A right perception of self and of others in the body is critical for the body to be united and to fulfil its supernatural calling. God's supernatural purpose in us living as the body of Christ is that we might put on display to the rest of the world the wonderful mystery of the Christ revealed in the Gospel. You see, in Ephesians 3, Paul reminds the Ephesians that the mystery of the Gospel is that God brings such different individuals together, one in Christ, to live with and love one another as a body. And this body is on display to the rest of the world as a statement of the change the gospel rends in individuals' lives. 
you might not realize this, but the very existence of the body of Christ, the very existence of our church as a local body of Christ, proclaims to the world how the gospel changes people. The body of Christ is countercultural. It's the original hipster. The body of Christ is a place where people are welcomed in, not because of who they are or where they're from, which is what the world does, but because who they are known by, the God of the universe, who they are saved by, Christ, and who they are filled by, the Spirit. The body of Christ is a place where we love and we care for people in costly ways, in selfless ways, rather than not at all. It's a place where, unlike society around us, we don't buy into or engage in cancel culture. We don't buy into the zeitgeist, but rather are a part of a redeemed culture. The body of Christ is a place where God's people are united. The body of Christ is a place where we journey together as individuals, but never alone. The body of Christ is marked by humility and patience and love, which to the world is countercultural, but to us is spirit-enabled to enable us to live in honour of the one who is the head, Christ. This should be our experience. Is it yours? Sometimes? Is it mine? Sometimes? If it's not, I wonder if it's time for us to look afresh to Christ, finding humility and security in him, remembering that we are the body of Christ, so we should maintain the unity of the body and embrace the diversity of the body under Christ as the head. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we thank you that uh, in your word, you remind us about the very special place we have in the body. How we are brought together under Christ, united as one. But also we are all valuable. And who we are as individuals is dearly treasured by you. And so should be dearly treasured by us. Heavenly Father, help us to love one another. Help us to serve one another rather than seek to be served. Help us to be united. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.